It's good to be with everyone this morning, whether you're with me here in the room or we're together online. Together is a good place to be, and I'm happy to be with all of you. Let me ask you a quick question. Why do we send Christmas cards? What's really happening there in our culture that we choose to do this activity each year? Well, the answer is probably pretty clear to most of us. We do it because we recognize the value of those God has placed in our lives, the network of friends and family that make up our people. And as we've been seeing throughout this series, it's another clue that there's something larger going on in our culture, something deeper being expressed in the Christmas practices and traditions that our culture still holds on to. In sending Christmas cards, we are saying we need each other. That everyone at their gut level begins to understand and is willing to admit, I want to reach out to everyone in my tribe and let them know I'm thinking of them. Let them know they're important to me. Express some love and care to them. We enjoy receiving them. We enjoy giving them. It's our declaration that we aren't meant to go it alone. Something inside us knows this. And in fact, I can't help but think, Someone this morning needs to hear that simple truth again. Again, whether you're joining us online or you're right here in the room, just be reminded this morning that you don't need to go it alone, that we're meant to do this together. That's why God provided the church, because he knew we would need a faith family. And that's what we receive in the gift of each other. Now, the stories we tell at Christmas time, and we tell a lot of different stories at Christmas, they say a lot about us as human beings. They reveal our highest dreams and our deepest needs. And in this series, we've been seeing that all these stories, and we've been having some fun focusing on the stories we tell through film, all the stories that we tell at Christmas time, or at least most of them, end up pointing, if we pause to realize and reflect on it, they're all pointing to the truest and most real, most great Christmas story of all. The arrival of what and really the one the whole world is looking for. A couple weeks ago, we talked about grace and forgiveness. Last week, wonder and mystery. Next week, hope and significance and anticipation. Today, we're going to talk about love and caring. We're going to realize again that even people who don't yet know Jesus understand that we do need each other and that we suffer when we lack in love and caring from others. Speaking of love and caring, I just wanted to give you a quick update. You heard Zach thank everyone for their participation in our Christmas store. Uh, Our partners at Renewal, our team, our folks, uh, served over 400 kids yesterday through the Christmas store. Isn't that awesome? It really, really, really is. 400 kids will have something wonderful under the tree uh, this Christmas morning. Thanks to your generosity, lots of hard work. Uh, got to stop by yesterday, just see just a few of all of you who volunteered, and really, it's a beautiful, tangible expression of love. And that's what we're talking about this morning, tangible expressions of love. That, in fact, that's why you have near you, uh, when you sat down this morning, a card of your own 
uh, to grab. If, if uh, there's, a, there's a few places where there are some empty seats, I also see some unclaimed cards. So if there's not a card near you, feel free to find one before you leave this morning. But I want to encourage you. We'll talk about this more uh, in a minute. But as we begin, grab a card, make it your own, and just now begin to ask God, Lord, who might benefit or be blessed by a card from me? Who, who should I write this card out to? You could drop it in the mail tomorrow, or even better yet, hand deliver it this week to whoever the Lord lays on your heart. In our world, love can be hard to see. The whole world's looking for it, and we're talking about that here at Christmas time. Who can forget, though, this Christmas movie scene of heartless inhumanity? Take a look at this. Flick's spine stiffened, his lips curled in a defiant sneer. There was no going back now. This is nuts. Duck? It can be a cold, cruel world, can it not? Right there, it just explains it all for us. In Flick, in his declaration, don't leave me, he says, right? Your heart goes out to the kid. Don't leave me. He is really expressing the heart cry of all of humanity, if you can use your imagination a little bit. Don't leave me. Don't leave me out here in the cold, all alone with my tongue stuck to a pole. There's that part too, but, but yeah, you get the idea. Christmas reminds us that God stepped into our cold, cruel world, and he did something. He introduced us to warm, genuine love. Mary declares this in her song recorded in Luke chapter 1. She begins, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. In these words, Mary is saying, God sees me. She's the humble servant in this line of her song, but she's also making a blanket declaration for us all. God sees the humble state of all his servants. She says later, the loving kindness of the Lord is given to the people of all times who honor him. In Luke's account, which we're reading here, of the nativity, he makes sure to include over and over this one word in the Greek, Elias. In the Hebrew, it's hesed, and it means God's loving kindness or mercy. This is his covenant love. It expresses God's refusal to walk away from his people despite their darkness and despair. It is his determination to be faithful to them. This original word means a lot more than just love or mercy, the way we might write poems about it or sing about it. It's this super substantive word. It's 
thick with meaning. It's never just a theory. It's always love expressed in action and in real, tangible dedication. That's this word that we translate loving kindness. As Josh brought before us earlier this beautiful truth that God has dedicated himself to what? Be with us, Emmanuel. Now more than ever. And that's what uh, Mary is singing about. God has revealed himself and now will be with us now more than ever. He is with his humble servants now more than ever. If the metaphor can hold for just a second, the idea that is that just as we want to make our love expressed and tangible when we send a Christmas card, that in a very real way, that's what God has done in Christ. He has made his love clear, written, and tangible. He has, as we send a card, he has sent his son to save us and our world. Mary goes on, he has filled those who are hungry with good things. He has sent the rich people away with nothing. What does she mean there? Ultimately, I think it's speaking of the fact that in God's kingdom, rich and wealth have been redefined. She says the wealthy whose hands seem so full will often end up with empty hearts. They've bought the wrong idea of what being rich really means. But in Jesus, we now discover what wealth and richness in life really look like. It's a relationship with him. Throughout the scriptures, we're told that God is rich in this mercy, in this loving kindness, this Elias, this hesed, and that this is to be the primary attribute of and between his people, this same characteristic of loving kindness and faithfulness to and with each other. Our world reveals how hungry it is for this, especially in the stories we tell at Christmas time, by just how much it celebrates love and caring and kindness and charity. We see it in all kinds of ways. Even the world who doesn't yet know Christ knows these things are valuable. It's just that we have the joy of knowing the whole story about this love. But if we're honest, we know this love is both easy and hard to miss. It's easy to miss because we often simply don't do it, do we? We don't live that way. But it's hard to miss because we all know it's exactly what we need. And our stories tell us this again and again and again. So three observations quickly this morning on this idea of God's loving kindness. And the first one is this. We see love in Christ, or the world sees it in Christmas. This is the premise of our series in a way. I've already touched on it, but let me just say it more explicitly again. That in Christmas time, our culture reveals what it's most hungry for and looking for. And in this case, we're talking about love and kindness. It reveals that through the lens of Christmas, we can begin to see it. We, uh, generally, we in Christ can see it specifically, right? We've begun to see just the true meaning of what Christmas is in Christ and his love. Let me go to the book of Ephesians. Just read a couple of powerful passages here. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, God, who is so rich in, there's this word, mercy or loving kindness, Elias, God who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, someone say so much, 
so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. See, now in the gospel, there is no Christmas without Easter. There is no Easter without Christmas. So when we begin to talk about Christ rising from the dead, we know that this is part of the whole. There would be no empty tomb without that manger. There would be no death and resurrection without that birth. And so it's the whole story that we're celebrating. We can't talk about one without also referring to the other because they're so intertied. God is rich in mercy. He loves us so much. And we begin to grasp it, or at least we're finally able to begin grasping it, this love. Consider Paul's powerful prayer for these same Christians a little later in his letter. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, there's that idea again that God is rich and he wants to bless us in deeply spiritual and meaningful ways. I pray that God out of his glorious riches may strengthen you with power through His Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's the real meaning of Christmas yet again, that Christ dwells in us. He's dwelt among us. He's become one of us. He can now dwell in us. No room in the inn, right? Uh, Had to borrow a place just to be born, but we can make room for Him today in our hearts. He may dwell there in faith. Paul goes on, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is what? The love of Christ. And to know this love, here's the third time we've seen this word so far just in this short passage, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does Paul want for these Christians? That they would just begin to grasp how wide and, 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 and broad and amazing God's love is for them. How endless it is. How rich and how deep. Sometimes there are things we just need to grasp. We need to stop and try to and ask God to help us to wrap our hearts and minds around those beautiful truths once again. In this case, simply that God loves you no matter what. Now, famously, Ebenezer Scrooge missed the point of Christmas. Back to one of our uh, well-told Christmas stories, Scrooge needed to know what life was truly all about. He was not grasping what Christmas and ultimately what we know Christ is all about. He was blind and needed to see, as is beautifully illustrated in one of these early scenes in this tale. Take a look. Merry Christmas, Bob Cratchit. And the same to you, Mr. Fred. Merry Christmas, Uncle. I said, Merry Christmas, Uncle. (laughs) Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. Surely you don't mean that. I do. What's Christmas but a time for buying things? which you have no need, no money. (laughs) Time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. (laughs) If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips (laughs) should be boiled in his own pudding (laughs) and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. (laughs) Come now, Uncle. Neville, 
You keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it may do you, much good it has done you. There are a great many things from which I might have derived good, from which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I've always thought of Christmas time when it comes round as a good time, a kindly, forgiving, charitable time. A time when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely to their fellow creatures. And so Uncle Bert has never put a scrap of gold or silver into my pocket. I do believe that it has done me good. And I say, God bless it. Not a sound from you. And you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Now, I love Scrooge's nephew, Fred, there. He operates on a different economy. He says there are a great many things from which I have derived good, yet from which I have not profited. That he understands there's a different way to measure the goodness and the virtue of certain things, and they may not have propelled him forward financially or societally or in any other of those empty measures that the culture might use, but he knows that there's still something very, very good about it. And what is that good? He says that Christmas time is a time when people, as he puts it, open up their shut up hearts freely to their fellow creatures. Exactly what we're talking about here today. The idea that the world even knows that we can't afford to go all year shut up from each other. There's got to be a time, even if there's a lot of distance or ignoring that may happen the other 11 months of the year, that there's some moment here in which we realize we can't hold our breath that long. There's got to be, we can't hold back our love that much. There's got to be a chance where we come up for air and say, I recognize you, I see you, I need you, I love you. The rich are empty. This scene makes it clear, and the humble servant is seen. In this classic tale, Ebenezer Scrooge needed three spirits to show him the way. But in reality, we need only one, the Holy Spirit of God to knock on the door of our souls and show us ourselves. To open up our hearts and show us where we may lack love, but have the chance, all kinds of chance, to still show that love, an opportunity to show that love to others. And of course, when Scrooge learns his lessons, what happens? Is he just in a better mood? Does he just think better thoughts? Agree with higher principles? No. When Scrooge learns his lesson, he begins from moment one to do acts of love, tangible expressions of love, whether it's the prized goose or giving Bob Cratchit a raise or taking care of Tiny Tim. There's something about us as a people that still knows that is the right way to live. That is what love should look like. And from where did we get this idea? What's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's wise and profitable, or what's not. Somewhere in there, the Word of God is still doing its work, still running through as a thread of conscience in the human heart. And when that thread is broken or stretched, something about us cries out and says, that's not right. We should do better. Christmas is our whole culture's exclamation, let's do better. We meet that and say, we found the one who will make that possible. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen?
So, number one, in Christmas we see love. Number two, as we're, about, as we're already alluding to, in Christ and in Christmas we see others with love. Once we begin to grasp God's love for us, we see others differently. Now, this isn't always easy. In fact, it's usually challenging if we're honest about it. And one of the most challenging characters to love in our modern Christmas stories is a guy named Cousin Eddie. But Clark is determined to try. So enjoy this scene. Ellen and I want to help you give the kids a nice Christmas. Clark, I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, no, we, we insist. Oh, no, I'm not one for charity now. Oh, I know that, Eddie. This isn't charity, it's family. Now, come on, if you don't tell me what they want, I'll go out and get it on my own. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is a surprise, Clark. <laughs> this is just a real nice surprise. Just a real nice surprise. <laughs> Here's a little list. Alphabetical starting with Catherine. And if it wouldn't be too much, I'd like to get something for you, Clark. Something really nice. <laughs> Really nice. I love Clark's statement there. It's not charity, it's family. But if we're honest, sometimes those feel like the same thing, right? And that's certainly what Clark is running into here. But there's something in him that knows that that charity, which is another word for love, is exactly what his family needs. Even amidst the challenges of those characters in his family. Everyone have any challenging characters in your family? If you're not raising your hand, guess what? You are the challenging character in your family. But this is what we know. This is, what, this is the part of the story that we've been let in on. 1 John chapter 3 says this, we know what real love is. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Something in us knows when we encounter real love that we then want to express as best as we know how what that real love looks like in our own human relationships. It goes on in verse 17. If anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions, he writes. Again, tangible love, not just words, but actions. Even the action of writing a card, writing words on a card is its own action. John's question, of course, is rhetorical. How can God's love be in that person who has no compassion for their brother or sister in need? And the answer might seem self-evident, except far too often it's not, right? We're often centered on ourselves instead. This is our own human nature. Christmas calls the whole world to try to transcend that human nature. We, in Christ, find the one who will transcend it in and through us. In our cold, cruel world, this, this is what, if we pause and just, just think about this for a moment, in our cold, cruel world, we have to admit that far too often, our hand, all of us have our hand on the thermostat, and often we're turning it down instead of up. We put distance between ourselves and those who've hurt us, because we're just not sure how to forgive. That takes time, that's a whole other sermon. Or we 
don't know what to do with people who disagree with us, or we've been hurt, or there are any number of things that can happen in our lives that cause distance and coldness to to blow in to that relationship. But friends, we as Jesus followers have to find the way and do the hard work and learn the deep lessons as best as we know how so that when this world sees us and our hand is on that thermostat, we're doing what we can to turn it up, not down, right? Make the world a warmer, more loving place. In Christmas and in Christ, we see others with love. Third thing, in Christmas, we are seen with love. In Christ, we are seen with love. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 5, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What does this passage tell us in in this pungent, punchy way? That when God sees you, and God sees me, and that's always, by the way, He sees someone he loves deeply. I'm talking about the person, just the person next to you or someone that you might think of that that might not even be here. I'm talking about you and me. When God sees you and me, he sees someone he loves deeply, completely, and unconditionally. As Mary put it, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He sees you. Later in that same letter, Paul writes, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who what? Loved us. And we could say, loves us. Amen? In It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey loses sight of this. Thanks to his uncle's misplacing of the December 24th deposit, the family savings and loan will likely close amidst scandal and accusations of corruption. George, in this tale, despairs of his life, but is taught some priceless lessons, all of which come down to the inestimable value of of loving kindness and what that means in someone's life. This is all captured finally in the last scene of the movie. Take a look. telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast (laughs) to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Now, what makes George the richest man in town? If you're familiar with the story, you know that in the, the overall lesson is that no man is poor who has friends. 
And it's these tangible expressions of love and support and care that you're seeing come in right there. For George, in his desperate moment right there, it was cold hard cash. People actually bringing in what he needed to be saved from bankruptcy and, and what we just mentioned earlier. But often it's not just that, it's something else. It can be a good word, it can be an act of service, it can be some words of encouragement, enriching the lives of others. In other words, being a friend, right? As Mary said, he has filled the hungry with good things. He's sent the rich away with nothing. Now, does God want to send the rich, quote unquote, away with nothing? No, but that's what's happening, Mary says. That's what happens again and again in our human condition. The contrast is that those who are rich by the world's standards often stumble and fall away from the love of God. They don't understand that they ought to humble themselves and receive the richest aspect of all of life, the loving kindness, the mercy and the grace and the joy of God. That's where true riches lie. That it doesn't really matter what your income is, whether it's high or low. What matters is, are you allowing your life to be enriched by the loving kindness of God? If not, you'll find yourself in the end with nothing, and so will I. In Christmas and in Christ, we see love. In Christmas and in Christ, we see others with love. In Christmas and in Christ, we are, and this is a glorious truth, seen in love. You are seen by God in love. May all of this be true and real for us all. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you that you did step into our time and space, that you saw the humble state of your servants, your, the, your creation here, and, and you rescued us. You, you made yourself known to us. You entered uh, our cold, cruel world with some warm and shining love. Lord, help us to receive that love, to grasp it, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and to begin to show it to others. That's our prayer. Lord, we know that's a prayer you delight to answer as we just want to be more and more like you. So we pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen.